There are certain things no one wants to talk about, and menopause is one of them. Yet, it happens to every woman at some point in her life. Today, we're going to take a deeper dive on how you can manage the symptoms of menopause naturally, why it is more important than ever to engage in self-care during this phase of your life, and what you should expect. We'll give you all the tools you need to manage this phase of life holistically, engaging your mind, your body, and your spirit. Hi, I'm Dr. Brianna Sinatra. And I'm Dr. Drew Sinatra, and this is Be Healthistic. Welcome to Be Healthistic, the podcast that's more than just health and wellness information. It's here to help you explore your options across traditional and natural medicine so that you can make informed decisions for you and your family. This podcast illuminates the whole story about holistic health by providing access to the expertise of Drs. Steve and Drew Sinatra, who together have decades of integrative health experience. Be Healthistic is powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. Now, let's join our hosts. Hi, folks. If you like what you hear today and you want to listen to future conversations on all things integrative and holistic health, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com. Also, check out and subscribe to the Healthy Directions YouTube channel, which features video versions of our episodes plus extra videos you won't want to miss. And finally, we have more with me, Dr. Drew Sinatra, my dad, Dr. Steve Sinatra, and other health experts at HealthyDirections.com. Well, I'm so happy to have Dr. Brianna Sinatra back in the show again. Thanks for coming. Thanks so much for having me. We did a previous episode where we talked about the unmentionables of menopause, which included insomnia, hot flashes, and night sweats. And menopause, like we talked about earlier, is an individual process, but all women will experience it. And we wanted to provide as much information as possible in understanding and managing the most prevalent symptoms in the most natural ways possible. So today we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into menopause and share some clinical pearls and tips that we use with our own patients. Welcome back. Thank you. What are some of the main symptoms or issues that your patients share with you about menopause? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some symptoms that are the most common, but it also depends where on a woman's menopausal transition journey she is when she comes in seeking help. So if we want to recap, there are different phases of menopause. So stage one being perimenopause. And this is usually the first stage that happens when a woman's estrogen production starts to fluctuate. It can elevate, it can decrease, it can be going up and down. And this can last anywhere from one to seven years for, for a woman. And it can be, you know, in their forties. And it's when some of those first symptoms start to show up. So she can be experiencing intermittent hot flashes, sleep disturbances, mood swings. I see as a big one, anxiety or panic attacks might come on for a woman where she never experienced that before. And then also symptoms of low libido and vaginal dryness can be really common and can be what bring people in. Yeah. And I find that most women do come in during this perimenopausal phase because those symptoms are starting to come on. Yep, absolutely. And then the second stage is menopause. And so menopause, we're not diagnosed menopause until we've actually gone 12 consecutive months without a menstrual period. And so sometimes when women come in in that pre or perimenopausal stage, they're just skipping their period. 
periods. They don't know when it's coming. Their uh, menstrual flow might be heavier one month, uh, lighter another month. Their bleeding could last for a lot longer. And so there's quite a variety in what we see. But you're not typically diagnosed as menopause until it's 12 full consecutive months without a menstrual period. And that's when your ovaries stop producing eggs and your ovaries stop producing that estrogen that it has been for so many years prior. And so additional symptoms of low estrogen will usually be more pronounced at mm -hmm. that time. And then the third stage is the postmenopausal phase. And so that is, you know, after you've gone through more of those flex fluctuations after it's been 12 months without a menstrual period. And usually by that time, estrogen production levels off for, for patients. And some women are symptomatic during that time and some aren't. It really varies from individual to individual. Mm -hmm. But it's also the time when we lose those protective benefits that estrogen has given to us for all those years prior. And so it's a time to reevaluate and be conscientious about our bone health, cardiovascular health, and make sure we're doing the other things in our diet and lifestyle nutrients to support us there as well too, not just looking at the hormone balance piece. So it's, it's almost like a checkpoint in a, in a woman's life where they come in and you're not only assessing their hormone status, but also looking at their cardiovascular health and also their bone health and perhaps their colon health as well. Absolutely. I think it's such a wonderful opportunity, even though it might be a really distressing symptom that brings the woman through the door. It's a great time to get a baseline on how she's doing on all her different systems so we can really address her holistically so we can support not only her distressing hormonal symptoms, but also be proactive in supporting her health now and going forward. Well, you mentioned some of the menopausal and perimenopausal symptoms uh, previously. What I see for women coming in is it's it's this. It's usually uh, they feel like their brain isn't working anymore. They forget things easily. They're not as focused as they were before. Uh, insomnia seems to be a very common symptom that develops at this time. So women come in and they, they say they can't fall asleep or they wake up multiple times during the middle of the night. And there's really a, a pretty big sleep disturbance that's happening. Some women also gain weight during this time, and that seems to be a really big issue. And a lot of women report that vaginal dryness and uh, low libido, or they just don't want to have sex anymore. And there's other changes that happen as well. But I find that those are really kind of the main ones that we see. Would you agree? Yep. Those are the big ones for sure. And it's like what was working for them before, maybe with their diet or their exercise, isn't enough, especially when we're looking at you know, that weight gain around the belly or, you know, maybe they could have interrupted sleep before and still function the next morning. And it's like, no, it, it's not, they're not able to do it to the same degree. It's really impacting their quality of life. You know, another thing I just remember too is, is really changes in mood. So women will come in and they find that they're more anxious or they're more depressed or they're more snappy at their partner or their kids or they're more impatient or there's a big change happening with their mood. Yeah. It's like a high, heightened PMS. Yes. <laughs> that lasts way longer than you want it to. Now, you mentioned some of those other things, as as, as I said, as a checkpoint where women come in and we want to do more of a, a detailed you know, check up in terms of how they're doing. What other things are you kind of looking at and what other things are you addressing when looking at a hormone imbalance? 
Absolutely. So I really believe that our hormones don't function in isolation. There's so many other things that are going on around our time, around that time. And we need to check in on all of those systems and support all of those systems because the function of those systems can really make a big difference. I feel like if someone kind of coasts through menopause or really feels it and has them, has it impact their life in a negative way. So I think it's an excellent time to look at blood sugar levels, thyroid levels, you know, their liver and kidney health, their adrenal health is huge. You know, Mm -hmm. all the stress that you've experienced up to that time, how has that impacted your adrenals? Because that's going to affect your sleep. That's going to affect your mood. So that is really a big one that I like to focus on, you know, looking ahead and getting a good baseline. This is also a time in women's, a woman's life when she is doing other screenings, such as a mammogram for breast cancer a DEXA for her bone health, a colonoscopy for her colon health. So it's a great time to look even more in depth at all her other organs and systems. So getting a greater baseline for her cardiovascular health, not only cholesterol levels, but inflammation markers as well. And just see where she's at because it's so important to have that baseline. And it's really important to support any imbalances, looking at her iron level, making sure she's not anemic, especially if she's been having more frequent or more heavy menstrual periods. Mm-hmm. It's really important to make sure she's supported, looking at her vitamin D level, considering her B vitamin levels. You know, there's a lot there that goes into play when we're looking at hormones, mood, neurotransmitter production. And so there's a big, there's a big piece there that needs to be supported and looked at holistically. Well, speaking about hormones, cause we are talking about perimenopause and menopause today. How do you test for hormones in your practice? And I'll share how I test for hormones in my practice. You know, I think this is a really good question. And, you know, we've both been practicing for over 10 years now. And I seen this change, you know, even through what we were taught in school, what we're hearing at conferences, what doctors who have been practicing for long before us are doing. I feel like there's so many different opinions there. And that can be from testing and the form of testing to not testing at all. You know, there's some people that say, okay, we're going through menopause, your ovary ovarian production of certain hormones is declining. So we're just going to do a symptom checklist and see what your symptoms are and go based on that. And sometimes I think that can be realistic. We assume it's going down. And so we go based on symptoms. I always think it's important to test. And when you're looking at testing, there can be different ways to test. You know, you can test through blood, which can be helpful. Although that is just a spot in time. Some of our hormones are a little more pulsatile. It might not show our free hormone levels, but it could be a good baseline and it could be a good affordable option for someone. There's also salivary testing, which is an option, which looks more at the hormone that has gotten into the cells that's acting at the tissue level because you're measuring the amount of saliva or the hormone in the saliva. But there are times, especially if you're on certain hormones where those levels can be falsely elevated, for example. And then there's also urine tests. And so that's actually something that I've been incorporating a lot more into my practice lately. I find it really helpful. I use a test called the Dutch test. And so that looks at urine hormone metabolites. So why I like that test is because it 
looks at progesterone level, it looks at estrogen levels, but in addition to just looking at your estrogen level, it looks at your estrogen urine metabolites. So it shows if you have more of a tendency to form a gentler, more protective estrogen or more of a estrogen that can promote DNA damage that could be more of a risk factor if you have a family history of something like breast cancer. So for me with having a family history of breast cancer, I feel like that's important. And I want to know if your body naturally has that tendency sooner rather than later so that we can do protective and preventive measures to support someone. It can kind of show your tendency towards methylation and what your glutathione levels might be, what some of your B vitamins might be. So I find that it gives a lot of additional helpful information. It also gives a view on what your adrenal health is like. Mm -hmm. It will look at your, you know, DHEA, it'll look at your cortisol, your free cortisol, and it does it over a day. So all of these hormones are collected over at least a 24 hour period to really get a full picture on your hormonal health. So and this, that's, the, that's and the Dutch test measure. is a urine test. It is a urine test. Okay. Okay. Yep. Well, while we're on the subject of, of hormone testing, not all women out there will have availability of testing, whether it is the blood or the urine or saliva for that matter. So I think, and you said this earlier, it is really important that we do like a checklist. We run through lots of different symptoms that someone is experiencing. And, you know, I always like to have a baseline possible for doing some hormone testing, which I'll talk about in a moment. But, you know, in, in these in these years of the menopausal, perimenopausal years, I believe it's okay to sometimes, because if testing is not available, to still support a woman through this phase and to treat her uh, without having testing. Just I want our listeners to know that because sometimes you may not have availability to testing. In my practice, I work with another medical doctor and I work with another naturopath doctor who have decades of hormone prescribing. And so over the years, they've fallen into more of the blood testing. And that's what we do at our clinic. So we do a blood test for women looking at the estradiol, the progesterone, DHEA, pregnenolone, sex hormone binding globulin. And of course, we're on all the other hormones as well, like thyroid. And I find that that's a good baseline. And a lot of people do have insurance uh, that may cover it if you go to LabCorp or Quest or wherever you get your blood drawn. So that's a good thing. And I do like to have a baseline. But like I said, if testing isn't available, I'll still go ahead and support women. Yeah, absolutely. I think the it's always good to have a conversation with your practitioner, right? Here are the different testing here when we're treating. Here are our different options. We can test. We can not test. Here are the different testing methods available. Here are the pros and maybe the shortcomings of different testing options. And I think it depends on so many things. It depends if where someone is in their menopausal transition. It depends on the severity of their symptoms. It depends on if they are on hormones or not and the best way to monitor that for them. So I think it's all about having a conversation with your care practitioner. I think it also might depend on their comfort level and what they've done for years and that experience has a weight to it. That is important. If they've really seen a benefit by treating a certain way or testing a certain way, then that's great. And if that does not give you the full picture, knowing that there are other 
ways to look can be helpful. And since we've talked about testing and different symptoms that women may experience, let's let's kind of dive into treatment here. And we'll talk about natural versus um, conventional treatments. Um, where do you like to begin? Where do you like to start off with people? Well, you know, we just finished talking about testing, but we also talked about testing not only hormones, but all the other aspects of someone's health. So their adrenals, their thyroid, you know, maybe looking at their iron, so their vitamin D. So I think it's always important to look holistically and to support all of those aspects. If anything is out of balance, blood sugar, you know, inflammation, I think that's really important. And I feel like the first place to start is always with diet and lifestyle. Absolutely. You know, I think making sure that people, when people are eating for the majority of their food is food that's really going to provide beneficial nutrition and nutrients and that it's going to help balance their blood sugar and support all their different systems. Because when our hormonal system is going through a huge change we want to keep all of our other systems as balanced as possible so that everything isn't in flux all at once. Yeah, I couldn't agree more because you can have a woman come in and it's easy just to put her on hormones, for example, right? Or some herbs that kind of support her through a lot of these menopausal and perimenopausal symptoms. But really, when you address the other systems together, so if that's thyroid, if that's adrenal, whatever it is, those are all going to help prop up the system better and, and someone's going to feel so much better with all those treatments. Absolutely. They're going to feel so much better now and also going forward. Like I said, it's this amazing opportunity to take a deep dive and do a baseline, not only for your health now, but for really supporting you going forward too. Mm -hmm. And then, so what else do you recommend in terms of natural treatments? What else do you like to start off with? So we talked about diet, right? What about lifestyle things? Absolutely. So like we've mentioned before in other podcasts, you know, our estrogen and progesterone is protective for our stress response or the cortisol that's secreted within our system. The estrogen and, pro and progesterone kind of mitigate that cortisol response. So as our estrogen and progesterone are going down and maybe our stress level is still high or we're not sleeping as much and our stress level is elevated in the middle of the night and waking us up, we have less of a buffer. So we're so much more acutely sensitive to that stress response. And when our cortisol is elevated, that can affect our insulin levels too. And so maybe we're eating the same amount as we used to before, but our body is holding on to that glucose and storing it. And we are getting more weight on our body. We're getting more stubborn abdominal weight. And so it is always so important to address our adrenals and our stress level in ways that help to reduce it. So things that I think are so important to talk about are like self-care, you know, mm -hmm. you know, that common saying of saying no to someone else is really saying yes to yourself. I think there's so many times when that can come up, whether it's at work or responsibilities within the family or, you know, other commitments. I think now more than ever, it's a time when a woman really not, you always have the right, but it's like, no, this is important. You need to prioritize yourself so that you can continue not only having a positive outlook for your health going forward, but if you are, you know, still supporting family members and wanting to be there, like you can only support them as much as you can be a strength and support for yourself. So really choosing the things that you need to do to give you more of a sense of calm, 
you know, going for a walk, taking a bubble bath, doing a yoga class, reading a book, knitting, whatever that might be, that's kind of a self-care, getting a massage, all of that is so important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more about the self-care. Earlier, you mentioned adrenals. Yeah. Um, how else do you like to support the adrenal glands? Or is there any botanical medicine or herbs that you like? Yeah, so it kind of depends how a woman is manifesting with her with her stress and her energy level. There's different herbs, and the herbs are really like like food, right? That help to nourish our adrenal glands. And so, if a woman is in more of like a high, strong anxiety, maybe panicky state, you can still support her adrenals, but you can use more calming herbs like ashwagandha, magnolia, vitamin B5, magnesium, things that will also help with her sleep and also just help like calm that, that stress reaction while still nourishing and building up her adrenals. And if someone is in more of that exhausted adrenal phase where they just have the brain fog and they just like can't get up in the morning or they're getting tired in the afternoon, of course, we're also looking at thyroid. But anytime we're supporting thyroid, we also want to support the adrenals. And so maybe some more uplifting herbs would be helpful. Maybe more of a ginseng or a rhodiola. Maca is a great adrenal supportive herb that also helps to balance the adrenals. So it can be very helpful during that perimenopausal phase when the hormones are in flux. And it can also be really helpful in the menopausal years because it not only supports estrogen, but it supports testosterone levels and progesterone levels. And it can really improve a lot of the symptoms of menopause. Yeah, I agree that maca is one of these herbs that is so good for not only the adrenal glands, but also supporting hormone production. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, another thing I was going to say, you know, and I just kind of remember this is, you know, when we're talking about food and food to nourish, food to balance blood sugar, but also foods that I've seen help support the hormonal system are phytoestrogens. Mm -hmm. So phytoestrogens are foods that create, that have a component that can either in high estrogen states, they can bind to our estrogen receptors and displace maybe our stronger acting estrogen. So it can have an overall estrogen lowering effect or in low estrogen states, like in menopause, it can bind gently to our estrogen receptors and have more of an estrogen-like effect. So they can actually be helpful in high and low estrogen states. And this is what makes it really nice during the perimenopausal stage when our hormones are in flux and are maybe going up and down. So something as simple as flax seeds, mm -hmm. you know, you're having the good fiber, it's helping to balance your blood sugar, it's great for your colon health, but it's also providing good essential fatty acids and it can be really, really helpful as a phytoestrogen for supporting our hormonal system. So do you recommend that women just take a tablespoon or two of flax seeds, freshly grind it up and drink it with some alternate, alternate milk, like a almond milk or an oat milk or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. They can have it in a smoothie. They can blend it with water, probably some almond milk or something like that can be a little more palatable. They can grind it fresh and put it over steamed veggies. They can add it to a salad. There's a lot of different options. So actually, Dr. Christiane Northrup wrote a really good book 
women's bodies, women's wisdom. And in that she talked about seed and oil cycling. So this I often present to the patient and if she's excited about it, then it's something that we talk in a little bit more detail about, but some women are totally keen to do this because it is a great way to introduce beneficial seeds to the diet. And it's something that they can easily start incorporating. So, you know, and when we're talking about phytoestrogens, we can also talk about something like soy, you know, and there's so many different opinions on soy. Soy is not something that we have a lot in our household, but, you know, and there's mixed reviews. People are worried about the breast cancer risk. And so I think this is always a conversation to have with your healthcare provider based on your specific symptoms and your goals. But, you know, having soy, I think, in moderation, if it is in a whole food form like edinami or a fermented form like tempeh or miso, as long as it's not genetically modified, if it's organic, can be a helpful addition for some women. Even having a clean soy isoflavone form for some women, especially if they're vegetarian, it can be it can be beneficial. So I think it's always worth that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. when soy becomes more of a concern for me, I feel like it's when women are having multiple servings of soy from many different forms throughout the day. And it's more the highly processed meat alternative right. types that they're relying on. Right. So those were some of the food forms where we can really support someone and their hormones. There's herbal options that we talked about. Um, and we talked a little bit more in our previous podcast. And then there's the question of hormones. So what, what's your take here on hormones? What do you do? Yeah. You know, I always learn this from my dad and other docs as well, but this is really a quality of life thing where women come in and they are feeling very uncomfortable. They don't feel good in their bodies. These hot flashes are keeping them up at night where they can't sleep. They feel like their mood is on a roller coaster ride. They're gaining weight and they might feel even achy in their joints and muscles. They just don't feel well. Mm. And when that happens, and I see a lot of women actually for hormone replacement therapy, I'd say 20% of my practice at least uh, is from women coming in wanting to be on hormones and symptomatically uh, they're showing signs of perimenopause I'll, I'll verify that via labs like i mentioned earlier i'll run some blood work on them to look at all their hormones and if all things are kind of in alignment where we've had a discussion about hormone replacement therapy the pros of it the cons of it they're showing signs and symptoms and their labs are showing that they're deficient in certain hormones like estrogen or progesterone or DHEA or testosterone, then I'll put them on bioidentical hormones. And to answer your question, I, they are very effective. I do believe overall that they are safe. There's certainly some conditions that I would not put someone on bioidentical hormone placement therapy. For example, a patient has a past family history or they've got a personal history of breast cancer. I'm not going to prescribe estradiol to that person, but I always run through a checklist in my head of, okay, what are these? These are the risk factors. And this is what I should be sort of concerned about. And I will tell the audience this. I I really believe that hormones can be a game changer for women. They really can be. I've seen women come in that are just distraught in their life. They just can't function anymore. Like they feel like their brain is not working. And once we put them on hormones within I'd say even four or five days, sometimes a week, two weeks, they feel like a new person. Mm. And I love that when they come back in saying, thank you, I now have my life back. 
And, you know, I'm not just doing hormones, of course, I'm doing all the stuff that you and I talked about previously with healthy diet and making sure they're reducing stress in their life. And they're maybe we're including some phytoestrogens or some herbs to kind of support the hormones and such. But adding on that layer of the hormones, I find is very effective. And at this point in my career, I, I, I definitely recommend it a lot. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that's so important. I've definitely had those patients who come in and their anxiety is just so high. It's kind of at the point of, do we consider a antidepressant or do we give hormones a try and see if that could help not only with the other symptoms that are going on, but with this new onset anxiety or some other emotional things that are going on, how best that can we support you? You know, I had a patient come in two weeks ago with depression and I'd seen her about four or five months earlier and she came in and wanting a prescription for Zoloft because she'd been on Zoloft before and she felt better on it in terms of her mood. Now I looked at her age, I went through a symptom checklist and I said, you know what, instead of me prescribing Zoloft to you, how about we do some hormone replacement therapy? And so I put her on uh, an estrogen patch, which is more my preferred way uh, to deliver estrogen. And I also put her on some progesterone at night in a pill form. And she wrote me back over the portal, I think it was around four or five days later, and she said, oh my God, thank you for prescribing those instead of Zoloft because now I feel like a new person and I don't need to go on an antidepressant. Okay. So sometimes it's so important to even look at this person holistically and yes, they may be coming in with depression or anxiety, but it, it's, in my opinion, that's not a neurotransmitter deficiency. They're not serotonin deficient. They're likely hormone deficient and, and giving them hormones is really what the body needed. Yes. I love that. I think it's so important. And, you know, you talked about the patch and oral progesterone. And I think that's another thing that can be overwhelming for our listeners. There's so many different forms of hormone, not just conventional versus bioidentical, but there's so many different forms out there from patches to creams, to oral, to trochies that dissolve in our mouth, to injections, pellets even, mm -hmm. you know, there's so much out there. So that's a whole. Well, th this comes thing. down to the personalized medicine piece where I've had so many women come in where I've given them Viveldot, which is, um, which is the common estrogen patch that I give them. Some it works really well for, and then others, they go for the generic estradiol patch. And that one seems to work better, even though it's the exact same medicine, essentially, it's being delivered into their bloodstream, the patch itself, the adhesion, the adhesion on there is different. Mm. And so there's little nuances like that, that really can change things up. I find too, that women that have trouble sleeping at night, I like using the progesterone pill because it has more of a sedating quality. Um, it can actually work on GABA receptors that way. And then with testosterone, you know, a lot of women think, oh gosh, I don't need testosterone. But I find that giving women a small amount of testosterone uh, can be pretty helpful in terms of helping with their fatigue or their brain dysfunction or something just doesn't feel right in their body. I like to add on testosterone, particularly if their testosterone level is lower. And again, I've had women come in where pellets was the only way versus a cream. And so it's, it, you know, pellets versus cream. It, it's a matter of trial and error sometimes with hormones to figure out like what is really needed for this person and what's going to work best. 
Yeah. It sounds like having that conversation with your doctor, what the easiest form for you is going to be, maybe what the best form for you based on your individual metabolism is going to be. There's so many different factors and it's so great to know that there's so many different options out there so that if you try one and it doesn't seem to work for you, there's another option you can try. Don't Mm -hmm. lose hope. Just have a conversation with your care practitioner and kind of go through and find the right combination for you. And we didn't even mention dose, right? There's looking at uh, Viveldot or the estrogen patch. There's four different doses that you can um, start off with. I tend to start off with either like the zero point. Um, 0.25 milligram dose or the 0.0375 dose. And I find that starting off at the lower doses tends to be more the approach that I take so that we can titrate up if needed. But oftentimes the lowest dose really isn't enough, but we jump up to the 0.0375 and then maybe we jump up to the 0.05 and that's, that's the money dose for that woman and she feels really good on it. So it's a matter of delivery methods being different, the dose being different. Uh, so many things can kind of play here. And, uh, it's, it's sometimes a matter of trial and error. Absolutely. And I think that's true with most medications, right? Even blood pressure medication. You know, we were, we were always taught when you're using a pharmaceutical, there's like the standard starting dose, but everyone is unique and individual. And so I think you are really playing it the safest when you start low and go slow and kind of titrate up and find that ideal spot for someone. Cause someone might need a higher dose But if you start at a higher dose for everyone, that might be way more. So you could really miss a a good therapeutic lower level if you don't, you know, based on your clinical experience, based on their levels, based on the severity of your symptoms. There's a lot that goes into deciding the right level for you. And it's very individualized. Mm -hmm. Couldn't agree more. So we talked about a few different forms of hormones and you mentioned pellets for our listeners that might not be as familiar with what pellets are. What is that? Right. The pellets, uh, these are a form of hormone delivery and these pellets are actually um, inserted underneath the skin. They're about the size of like a rice granule and they may contain estrogen or testosterone and uh, we don't personally do them i don't personally insert these but i I do know other doctors that do and for some patients they find that they're convenient because you don't need to change them out uh, every week or every month but they can actually go for many 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 months up to six months actually and there's the convenience factor where you don't have to apply a a cream or a patch or take an oral pill every single day or once a week or twice a week, but you can just have these pellets inserted and not worry about it. Okay. And then there's also the trochees that we mentioned, which can be formulated at different doses into a lozenge, which are not swallowed. So unlike a oral pill, which you would swallow, which will get metabolized by your liver and then leave a certain amount of that hormone available to act in your circulation. The troche is going to be absorbed through your buccal or cheek mucosa or under your tongue and absorbed directly into your bloodstream that way without going through that first pap's metabolism from your liver. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's lots of different things from compounding pharmacists, from pharmaceutical companies. There's a lot out there. So I think it's a great time even just to 
have a sit down with your healthcare provider and say, okay, what are the options that are available to me? What are the pros and cons of each? And then discussing your specific situation and what's right for you. And what's right for you might change throughout that menopausal transition for you. That's a great point. So maybe, you know, when your hormones are fluctuating initially, progesterone by itself could be helpful. And then as your estrogen level declines and gets lower, then adding on an estrogen in the menopausal years with the progesterone could be helpful. So it really depends where you're at. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to bring up too, because I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast that um, oftentimes lab testing is not available. Now, what happens when someone comes in and they are so symptomatic where they can't even be in their body and feel comfortable? I've had so many women come in where they feel like they're losing their mind. They're so anxious. They haven't slept in weeks. They have gained weight. Their body is changing so quickly. Hot flashes are just making them so miserable. And they'll say, Doc, please just put me on something immediately. <laughs> I, of course, like to run labs, but in the meantime, if they're really symptomatic and they're fitting all the, the signs and symptoms, I will prescribe some bioidentical hormones immediately off the bat just so that they can get some relief over the next four to five day period while the labs are processing and are ready. And then of course, once the labs come back, I may adjust the dose depending on what I find via the labs. But generally speaking, if women are really symptomatic and they need help ASAP, I'll put, on, put them on hormones immediately. Yeah, absolutely. I think some other things that might be overlooked, but we don't want to overlook because it's essentially important is hydration, right? If we are having night sweats and hot flashes, making sure that we're well hydrated is important. Also exercise is so important. There's actually good research to show that exercise because hot flashes are kind of this like thermogenic self-regulatory issue going on with the decrease in estrogen and progesterone, exercise can actually help improve the hot flashes as well symptomatically for someone. Plus exercise has many other fabulous benefits from stress reduction to cardiovascular health, all of that. So exercise is always an important thing to consider. Yeah. I think of exercise as being medicine right? in situations like this. It's absolutely essential that during these perimenopausal and menopausal, menopausal years that women exercise. Yep. Increasing circulation, helping with fatigue, clarity of mind. There's so many different aspects that exercise can really make a big positive impact on. Mm -hmm. Additionally, you know, checking in with yourself and your system and being mindful of things like alcohol, caffeine, smoking, of course, is not a great thing, but being mindful of all those other things that we do that we might be consuming that can also have a negative impact on our sleep, on our stress response, our adrenals, on our liver, you know, and really giving our body some TLC by being mindful of those things. Mm -hmm. Well, as we wrap up today's show, we wanted to leave you with some key takeaways. Uncomfortable symptoms due to changes in hormone levels may be what take you in to see your doctor, but also use this time as an opportunity to address all aspects of your health to increase your quality of life in your menopausal years. There are many ways to evaluate your hormone levels and many ways to treat menopausal symptoms. This can range from diet and lifestyle modifications to something as simple as remembering to dress in layers. It can also include natural supplements and even hormone replacement therapy. 
The key is to find a practitioner who will listen to your goals and concerns and who will work with you to treat you the way that you want to be treated. Before we wrap up this episode of Be Healthistic, it's time to share our wellness wisdom for today. You've probably heard a lot about soy from menopause and different opinions of whether it's good or whether it's bad. Personally, if you tolerate it digestively, we don't think that soy is evil. It's a phytoestrogen and can be really helpful for managing menopausal symptoms. If you do choose to eat soy, we prefer that people choose organic, non-GMO options, and our preference is to have them eat more of the whole soy form, such as edamame, roasted soy nuts, or the fermented forms, such as tempeh or miso. We like our patients to minimize their consumption of more of the highly processed, refined soy, like the kind you would find in imitation meat products. That's our show for today, folks. If you have a question or an idea for a show topic, please send us an email or share a post with us on Facebook. And remember, if you like what you heard today and you want to be an active member of the Be Healthistic community, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorites. You can also find more great content and information from us and the Healthy Directions team at HealthyDirections.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Drew Sinatra. I'm Dr. Brianna Sinatra. And this is Be Healthistic. Thanks for listening to Be Healthistic with Drs. Drew and Steve Sinatra, powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. See you next time.